0: If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just wanna talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Well, welcome to week two of Connect, Connecting with First Things. That's the worship and preaching series that we're in. We're still in 1 Corinthians. We're still, in fact, in the first chapter, and we'll be here again next week, too, in the first chapter. But we're learning some crucial truths about what it means to be healthy, faithful, vital Christians living in healthy, faithful, vital churches. Just this morning, as I was thinking about all of this, I, I remembered This professor I had in seminary, he was allegedly the most liberal, wicked, dangerously progressive professor that we had at the seminary. Those are not my words. That's how people described him in general. And uh, I had to take him for a class called Hebrew Bible, which is basically the study of the Old Testament. One of my friends said to me, Why in the world are you taking him? We don't even know if he's a Christian. And I said, Hey, brother, I'm on the three-year train to get out of here, and the three-year train stops in his class. I am not getting on the four-year train no matter what. I'll be fine. I'll make it. So I had him for class. The day of our first class came, and the tension in the room was just so thick you could have cut it with a knife. When I walked in, I realized that the room had divided like the Red Sea. The conservative seminary students were on the left side with their Bibles and prayer books. There was a woman in the back praying the rosary, She wasn't even Catholic, but she was in the back praying the rosary to get ready for this wickedness that we were about to experience. On the other side of the room, we had the more progressive liberal seminary students. They had brought matches and kindling to set their Bibles on fire and strip naked and run around. I'm sure that's what they were going to do. They had a shirt. One of them had a shirt on that had Dr. Steve's face. I love heretics. That's what it said on on the T-shirt. I thought, oh, my goodness, what is this? I sat kind of in the middle to the left side, which, which was, I guess, the conservative side, but that's the seed I found, I sat in the middle pondering an important question, very important to me. How much homework is this joker going to give us? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> that's all I was wondering. Dr. Steve walked in the classroom looking like a hippie straight out of 1972. He was carrying a Hebrew Hebrew Bible, in Hebrew, okay, it was written in Hebrew. That's all he had in one hand, a Hebrew, Hebrew Bible, and something called kombucha in the other hand, or kombucha. I learned that kombucha is kind of a Christian beer. That's what that is. He had that in class every day, and it puzzled me greatly. When he walked in that first day, I thought, oh, my goodness, here we go. Here we go. He was absolutely incredible, He taught from the Hebrew text. He made us read and think and write and pray in Hebrew. If we had any theological argument to make that wasn't grounded in in Scripture, he would say very gently, Now, where in the text, Brother Shelley, do you find the basis for that? He said that every day, all the time. Now, he really was just as wildly progressive as you can imagine, but it was one of the best classes I had in seminary right out of the gate. Right out of the gate we'll hear Paul and Sosthenes in 1 Corinthians reveal the thesis for the whole rest of this long letter. That's verse 10. We'll read that in just a moment. The remaining verses we read help us understand why verse 10 is necessary. And the last verse that we find is the rallying cry. Verse 18 is the rallying cry. So let's listen to the word of God together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse 10. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the thesis, I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. "'For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people "'that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. "'What I mean is that each of you says, "'I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, "'or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. "'Has Christ been divided? "'Was Paul crucified for you, "'or were you baptized in the name of Paul?' I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else for Christ did not send me to baptize but to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. Chloe's people were probably some slaves who had been sent to Paul with this report. Much to Paul's horror, they paint a picture of a church that looks very different than the one Paul left. People are now pledging their allegiance to their favorite teachers and to those who baptized them. Factions and fighting have emerged in the church. And, and these are not bad leaders that are mentioned. Cephas, while that's Peter. You know the apostle Peter. Apollos is a great missionary. Acts chapter 19 has a story about him. They are not the problem. The problem is how the people are lining up behind them. The thesis of this thing, which we read in verse 10 helps us understand the danger of this kind of behavior. Chapters 3 and 4 in 1 Corinthians really unpacked all of the dangers that can come from division. We learn from Paul and Sosthenes that four things tend to happen when factions and fighting emerge in the life of a church. Four things tend to happen. The first, divisions and factions give to their leaders the place reserved for Jesus. That's the first thing that can happen. The second thing, in the case of Corinth and in the case of many other seasons of division in the body of Christ, people tend to look at the teachers or apostles in question as teachers of philosophy rather than as preachers of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a huge problem still in the church today. Which way of teaching do you like better? John MacArthur, J. Vernon McGee, N.T. Wright, Walter Brueggemann, Barbara Brown Taylor. The list is endless. There's so many folks. We all love them. We all have our favorites, and it is great that we have our favorites. I certainly have mine, but they must be subordinated to the word of the cross lest we get into great trouble, division, factions. The third thing that can happen True wisdom bestowed by the Spirit of God is not to be found by those with a factious spirit. If our hearts get centered on faction and division rather than on Jesus, we will miss the true wisdom of God. And the fourth, the final thing, division creates rivals rather than fellow workers under Jesus. Division creates rivals rather than fellow workers under Jesus. One of my old commentaries, really old commentary said, Paul is troubled much about the bad spirit corrupting the life and witness of the church and threatening its unity. He could not bear to see the unity of the church undermined by the spirit of embittered faction. Paul is deeply moved and indignant as he thinks of the great great important matters so gravely jeopardized by the littleness of men, the littleness of men. Now, just in case you've been asleep for a decade or two, division, faction, and splintering plague many denominations within the larger body of Christ today. The factious spirit of the world has crept into the church, and we've let it in time and time again. It always comes with money, influence, and power, so we just look the other way and hope for the best. That's just what we do. We do it over and over. We're watching this happen in our own United Methodist denomination. If you've paid attention to the news, I'm sure you've seen stories. We are literally hacking ourselves to death, one congregation at a time. I thank God we're not doing that in this congregation, and I pray that we don't ever do that in this congregation. But in the larger denomination, you've got a front row seat, factions, divisions, parties, votes, political agendas, and something called disaffiliation. How in the world can Christ followers ever really disaffiliate with one another? You can change the name on the sign, you can get another church, you can get another preacher who suits you better. But if you follow Jesus, wherever you are, you're still part of the same very complicated, very diverse body of Christ, full of people who will never think exactly like you do about every single thing. That's who we are. When God looks at the whole church, God does not see our many denominations with our fancy names and mission statements and purposes, and God doesn't see that. But God does see division, and God hates division. It is the devil's greatest tool to minimize and destroy the witness and work of the Christian church in the world today. When we let it in, when we let it in, every single time, we create rivals, not co-workers under Jesus. We throw out the wisdom of God in exchange for something far less important we fight over philosophy rather than learning to live with the real power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we give we give to people and ideas the place of Jesus in our lives. Sisters and brothers, before you uh, grab me by the collar and tell me I ought to know better, I do know that Paul is just dealing with personality cults and cliques. I do know that. While we're dealing with massive theological divides, questions about the authority of Scripture, the future of the church, and the salvation of our children. I do know that. But if you prayerfully peel back the layers of division facing the church today, you will find the littleness of men disconnecting us from the power of God when you find it, and I know you will, your theology probably won't change. Your philosophy probably won't either, but your humility will. And you will become desperate for the power of God to hold us together as we follow Christ, every single one of us sinners being saved by the grace of God unleashed on the world in the cross of Jesus Christ. In case you missed it, that is the message and the power of the cross. That is what we hang our hats on. All the other stuff, why sure it deserves a place of concern and thought and prayer and sometimes even departure. Just never, ever forget the word of God The Logos, Jesus, will always hold full authority in this place. The cross will never be emptied of its power, and those who seek the unity of the Spirit, which is the bond of peace, will find the true wisdom of God together in the face of their differences, in the face of their differences. Near the end of the semester, with Dr. Steve, a student made a presentation in which he uh, absolutely lambasted Billy Graham as a simplistic, dangerous, and foolish false prophet in the way of the Old Testament false prophets. We all thought that Dr. Steve would enjoy the presentation, but he did not. He didn't enjoy it at all. In fact, with tears in his eyes, He said so gently, where, where in the text do you find the basis for condemning and judging another Christ follower? Dr. Steve, we learned, had come to faith in Christ at a Billy Graham crusade many, many years before. He said to our class, I will not tolerate you speaking evil of the man who placed my hand in the hand of Jesus, my mind was absolutely blown. Here was a man, a known, dangerous liberal professor who loved the Bible, who loved Jesus and social justice and Billy Graham and even kombucha. He ended our class reciting First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 from the Greek, of course, and closed the vast chasm between us all for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God I don't know about you but I am no longer interested in the littleness of men I am desperate for the power of God which I know we will find as we follow Jesus together. The world, even the church, may call us foolish and naive. I just say, relax and rest easy. We're in good company. (laughs) That which brings us together is far greater than anything that divides us. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Amen.